Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Bill Barnwell Show. I'm Bill Barnwell. Joining me today, a fan favorite makes his return in Nate Tice. We're going to be talking about Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, the Raiders, the Vikings, and how silly it is to call a quarterback a one-read quarterback. If that sounds good, hope you guys will stick around. But until we get to that in a second, I want to tell you about ESPN's newest podcast. It's called Organized Chaos, and it's hosted by Rex Ryan and Bart Scott. Yes, former Jets head coach Rex Ryan and his former linebacker, Bart Scott. The duo will be reunited in this weekly podcast with new episodes every Monday that will provide listeners with expert insight and analysis on everything happening around the NFL. It features trending stories from on and off the field. That's Organized Chaos. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Also, the PBD and Emmy award-winning 30 for 30 film series presents Once Upon a Time in Queens, a four-part documentary event about the city, the swagger, and the wild ride of the 86 Mets. This documentary explores the epic tale of one of baseball's most dominant and iconoclastic teams and their legendary World Series comeback. Hear from former Mets players and fans, including Daryl Strawberry, Keith Hernandez, Bill Burr, Cindy Lauper, and more. All four parts of Once Upon a Time in Queens are available to stream on ESPN Plus and the ESPN app immediately. Now, here's Nate Tice. All right, joining me now, here is promised on the Bill Barnwell Show, a day late after, let, let's be, uh, let's get full disclosure out here. I screwed up a time and caused this poor person to show up for a Zoom call that was not happening. That is 100% on me, and he is very thoughtful and very kind to join us a day after the original plan, and that is my friend and the excellent, excellent podcaster for The Athletic and a newsletter writer as well, which we will talk about, I'm sure, on the show today. It is Mr. Nate Tice. Nate, what's up? I, you know what? And what's so funny is when we were booking it for yesterday, you go, hey, let's start at 10 a.m. your time. I, I even said to, to my wife, I was like, no, that was really nice of him to go at 10 a.m. your time. And I was like, that, that's when I knew I was, <laughs> I was going and it just, it went away from there, but I'm, I'm happy to be here. No worries at all about uh, the misscheduling or whatever it is. It just gave us more, uh, more ammo for the show, I think. And also let, uh, you know, Wednesday's Dynamite show sink in a little bit more, too. <laughs> <You knew you were laughs> I got it in. I got it in. I knew you were going to do it. Fortunately, we're not going to talk about Rampage, as this will be published before the Friday Night Rampage. The show, no uh, no official professional, professional wrestling uh, affiliations. But that is another topic for another day, Nate. We have so much to discuss here. We're going to talk about some of the interesting trends from the first two weeks of the year and for one, one player's uh, instance, the first three weeks of the year, because last night, Sam Darnold took the Carolina Panthers to 3-0. Sam Darnold scored two rushing touchdowns, which I was not expecting from him. He has three so far in the year. As I tweeted, he is now tied for the NFL lead in rushing touchdowns with three. But Sam Darnold suddenly looks like he might be a franchise quarterback, which I I know Darnold Hive is out there. Um, listeners, guests of the show have been part of the Darnold Hive. Did not always look that way with the New York Jets. And by did not always, I say almost never look that way with the New York Jets. So Nate, I think the big question on everybody's mind when it comes to Sam Darnold is how much of what you've seen from him from the first three weeks are, is genuine growth from Sam Darnold. How much of it from the first three weeks is having much better players around him? And how much of it from the first three weeks, how much of Sam Darnold's improvement has been the fact that he's played the Jets 
and the Texans and the Saints, to be fair, but a game where the Saints were getting blown out. Um, how much of it fits into each of those three categories? Easy question. Only three parts here for you to answer. Nate Tice. Oh, boy. So, yeah, that is it is going to be a little bit of a, a column A, column B and column C. Uh, the, with the first off, the obvious improvement just comes from having a better system around them, just a better scheme around them. And it, actually, the last time uh, I think it was the last time I came on here, we uh, we talked about when we weren't talking soccer. Uh, it was when we talked about Darnold. Um, I promised me they'll talk about football, uh, but we, we were talking about Darnold. And I, I said, yeah, I am a little optimistic because I think Joe Brady is smart enough to know what he has with his players. Um, I, I going from LSU to Carolina, I thought it was going to be a copy and paste, basically what he did at LSU. And Last year in 2020 with Teddy Bridgewater, he really hybrid his stuff to some of the LSU stuff, but to a lot of Saints concepts that he ran, probably learned from Sean Payton, and which is good, which is I'm always a fan of. And I was like, okay, cool. This, there's more to Joe Brady than you know, flash in a pan. And this season, it's kind of the same thing. It's that I think he has put Darnold in just ways where he can operate quickly, where he can just there, there's zero fat on what he has to read out. Everything is very simple. It's naked, where it's everything is one side of the field. It's play actions where it's one to one. It's a throw. You like alert a throw. You throw one throw, or you check it down. Like he hit a curl route. Um, I think a whole bunch of people need it because like Lovey Smith's coverage, yada yada yada. But like last night he hit one. You know he hit one to there. But that's that's a perfect example of that because it's play action. He either throws the curl or he checks it down. It's super simple, and I think that's what they're trying to do is build his confidence through that. Get the ball out as quick as possible because you can see he can create but also the danger of Sam Darnold creeps in. And we saw a couple of times last night and it's happened the first couple of weeks, the strip sacks, uh, putting the ball in harm's way. He did in week two, he threw one behind him on the move. And it's like, that's like a, a no, no uh, for any quarterback, especially in the NFL, the guys are just too fast. And those types of things they're trying to wean out. So that's why it's not like, Oh, Darnold's arrived and he's an elite quarterback. Now it's more like he's competent. <laughs> he's he's in that kind of competency range and that's really fun to see and i i do think that's from the scheme and then i think just really from that scheme letting him operate quickly darnold's you know done it well like he's doing what they asked and he does it well he's that's why dj moore is excelling like he dj moore is taking a leap it's crazy uh but He's being a real X receiver, which is the singled up receiver. And Darnold is just sometimes bypassing the read and just feeding DJ Moore, which is fine, which, but it's good. It's like, they're not making it hard on him. So I think it's, you know, a good chunk of it is because the scheme has eased up Darnold's mind. It lets him operate quicker and more confidently. His feet are better and all that. So I guess uh, if we're figuring out the chicken and the egg here, I guess the egg is the scheme and Darnold's the chicken. <laughs> Which then helps the scheme with the egg. So of course, <laughs> well, how that work? I, I think that works. I'm sure. I'm sure somebody will poke holes in that, that little <laughs> idiom I just threw out there. An elaborate, an elaborate metaphor, but I think a reasonable one here. I mean, you know, I I, I want to ask you about this as well. But when I think about the, you know, what you would have expected from Sam Darnold heading into this run with the Panthers, you would have figured, okay, well, he has guys who are going to make him better when he is playing well, which we saw stretches where Sam Darnold looked very good with the Jets. Some of those stretches might've been a drive or a quarter, um, you know, but, but they were pretty good. Um, I, I think you figured when they had a weaker slate of opponents, which they do early in the season here, you'd figure he might look better. And that has certainly been the case. Um, what I find 
interesting, and I tweeted this out earlier today, is that this is a guy who was ahead with the Jets about on about 26% of his dropbacks. So 26% of the time, Sam Darnold was in the lead. And that could be, you know, a, a three-point lead in the first quarter, a 40-point lead in the fourth quarter. I did not parse it out all that much like my win expectancy, but you get the idea. With the Panthers, he's been ahead 75% of the time, and they have not trailed once so far over the course of this season. So from your perspective, Nate, are you concerned that when the Panthers are trailing, when they are playing a game where they do need Sam Darnold to be more, uh, you know, when Sam Darnold is in situations where the other team knows he has to throw, where there's more pressure on him, that we are going to see him revert back to the guy who did make questionable decisions? Or do you think that's always going to be part of the situation, whether he's trailing, whether they're leading? And it's it just sort of like, you're, it's more about minimizing that than about eliminating that altogether. It's minimizing it, minimizing it as opposed to eliminating it. That's the double-edged sword, I think, with Darnold and some other aggressive type of quarterbacks. He, he's kind of a big game hunter. And so when, when a quarterback operates that way, it can be really hard to kind of wean it out completely out of him. I think Darnold, just how he, by, he, he, he want, he's a tough dude for, to a fault sometimes. And I think with that, it kind of leads to good and also leads to very bad. Um, but I think I think that's what it is. It's like kind of how Josh Allen went from, you know, 20 bad throws to four. They're not going to all or 20 bad decisions to four. You know, like I'm exaggerating there, but it's it's yeah, but it's that's kind of what you're doing. It's never going to go away. It's just how he plays. He is young, but it it's just it, it's kind of hard to rein in the wild horse <laughs> kind of attributes of it. Russell Wilson's 30 something years old and he's still doing the same stuff he did while I played with him at Wisconsin. These guys kind of play how they play. Um, but no, I do think some of the easy, the easy schedule has to be talked about. Uh, you know, you're playing Jets week one who had a rookie quarterback. I know Darnold and Zach Wilson aren't playing each other, but it does help Darnold's. <laughs> like you said, if they're in the lead three quarters of the time, that I mean, that matters. Um, and also in week two, the Saints were a hodgepodge unit. They really were. I think they're out eight assistant coaches. Um, you're not really going to get the best of that bunch. And Marshawn Ladmore was out. And then La- and the Thursday night games are just always just whatever. Like, you know, just any- <laughs> anything can happen on a Thursday night. And that's, and that's you know, guys aren't going to be running wide open like that. And when like you say, when you have to drop back, and that's the limitations of having a, a play action and a boot-heavy team, when you have to drop back, that's, that's where those simple, quote-unquote, half-field reads that Joe Brady has kind of made him do, that's where now he actually has to read it out because defenses, yeah, you can get by a couple of times, but good defenses are going to go, well, we'll just do this. You know, they'll have an answer for what they're trying to do, or they'll make it hard or they'll make them nickel, nickel and dime it as opposed to push the ball downfield. So I, I and really though, but you look at the Panthers schedule, it's like, who's going to do that to them? Right. That's true. The Vikings, <laughs> it's like maybe? Vikings. I think the Vikings game will be the very telling, especially if they get healthier and some of their guys back. Cause I do want to see Darnold, operate under pressure and not just pressure within his face, but also against blitzes because that's, I want to see how he operates post snap when um, I think what Brady's doing is making everything pre-snap and then he doesn't have to do anything after the snap, just taking away anything where he can get discombobulated. It's like, he's like, Oh my God, it's just like all these like special things you have to do for him. <laughs> but, but that's, but that's what you have to do to get competency with quarterbacks. And I mean, they're doing a good job, but that's, that's the thing. I think it's going to continue this kind of upward 
brand or at least maintain what he's doing right now. But we do have to see that next step. It is him making consistent full field reads. Now that Christian McCaffrey's out, how are defense going to treat him? You know, they were spamming choice routes to Christian McCaffrey. Like, like you, oh my God, I, I think, I think I counted at least 10 they ran against the Saints. They just were isolating the linebackers. And not just with McCaffrey, they did it with Robbie Anderson. They did it with Dan Arnold. Like they were just doing it over and over and over. So I'm curious now, can we run a concept that's not choice, <laughs> where choice is really a one-man read? Uh, so I want do want to see him progress because that is where some of the limitations in this game has been, where he can get scatterbrained hmm. and make mistakes. That's a really interesting point. And, and I want to talk about something I, I see a lot with other quarterbacks. It's come up with Justin Fields. Um, it comes up usually with running quarterbacks uh, as a very common like dismissal of their weaknesses. Um, and it's it can be coded. Um, certainly it feels coded at times. Uh, the idea of like a one read quarterback, the idea that you're going to just read your, you're going to hit out your first read. And then uh, if that's not there, you're going to run or you're going to panic. Like, do you think that is a reasonable criticism? And what does that mean to you uh, in terms of how it actually plays out on the football field? Because I'm always... I always have a lot of questions and I'm very skeptical when someone tells me that someone is a, a one read quarterback. I am too. Usually, especially when that take was being parroted this draft season, <laughs> um, because Justin Fields, I'm glad you mentioned his name, especially writing about him is even in college, he was not a one read quarterback. So I do always think that stuff is coded because I have seen plenty of other types of quarterbacks that were one read quarterbacks, but no one wanted to say anything about that. Um, so with Darnold, Darnold is, I wouldn't say, I would, I would give him more than he's a one read quarterback because I do see him try to progress, but he's not more than a two read guy. Like Darnold reads the game almost like Russell Wilson does. I think that's my best equivalent I can have, uh, which is not what someone you would think, but I think that's how he mentally processes. If pre-snap on the board, he's going to be great. But as soon as the defense shows him something he wasn't expecting, he's, ah, you know, kind of like <laughs> trying to figure it out. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Russell can get away with it because Russell Wilson's Russell Wilson and he could do all the crazy stuff. Darnold's an okay athlete. I mean, above, I actually, he's a pretty good athlete for how big he is, but he's not the same. He's not, that's not his way that he wins. He can do it, but it's like one out. You don't want him. You don't want him to live that way. Um, so that's where he it's more like he can get to two, but then after that, you're whew, hope you're holding on that he can progress to three or that he decides to scramble. Um, and that's where he gets convoluted. And honestly, a lot of the stuff, that's why in college, you're scouting college quarterbacks and as easy as RPOs can make it for everybody. That's why you have to watch these drop back and even play action concepts, not just nakeds and not just uh, RPOs, because that stuff's easy on the quarterback. It's truly just one and done like Mac Jones was a one read quarterback, but no one had talked about it, but he, he showed that he could progress, but he was a one read quarterback and no one, no one, no one thinks of Alabama's offense like that. Um, but that's what he was. Uh, Zach Wilson was a one read guy. They, they ran like three concepts at BYU. They did a lot of fun, cool designery stuff, but like his concepts were pretty simple. Um, so that's where you have to watch these guys and see their progression, see if they're doing this in a timely manner. Um, I think Darnold's clock has really sped up. I think he that they've made it a point to get things out quick because even his dropbacks seem quicker. Like he does his one, two, three a lot quicker. So I think that's been a point of emphasis for them. But yeah, no, I, I do think that it's you have to go and watch these guys and watch the concepts they're running because there can be a lot of, a lot of noise that gets spewed out there as we've seen the last few months. 
foolish Nate Tice comes on the Bill Barnwell show and says, you have to watch the guys. This is a <laughs> spreadsheet podcast, Nate. All we do. I'm you, you, sorry. You're lucky if I even watch the dots. I was just going to say, don't the dots have eyeballs? Are we going to put eyeballs on them? So we're the dots, know? the dots do have, um, you can turn on a setting where it, it turns on orientation. So you can see where the player's shoulder pads are leaning. So you can sort of get a really? hint at it that way. Yes, you can. That is one of these secret, secret cool. dot powers that. Uh, give them a concussion test to see if they you can cannot, follow. <laughs> you cannot give a dot a concussion test, to my knowledge, as of yet. But that may change uh, as the technology improves. But yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> I always find it so frustrating because I think about, okay, well, you know, what if you have. Uh, you know, a mirrored root concept on either side, and then you're just picking one side before the snap based on the 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 best position safety or the worst position safety. You know, you might look like you have a single read, but you're making multiple reads throughout the play. It's just you're making a read before the snap, you're making a read after the snap, you're making a read after the snap, and like it's just. I'm I'm always very skeptical. It just feels like a thing that like someone tossed out for one quarterback, and then it was like, oh, here's a fluke thing that sounds like a football thing. Like, uh, what was it? Um last night i don't want to say uh a a prominent commentator who happened to be very interested in the thursday night game speculated that the uh texans and the uh and the panthers were two teams whose receivers were generally very good at blocking and i was like are you really watching every team and watching like paying close attention to their white like to their receiver blocking through the two weeks of the nfl season to really gauge that or are you just saying that because it sounds like something you would say if you wanted to seem smart and it kind of felt like the latter to me it does because i can't name a guy on the panthers that i would call a good receiver blocker <laughs> and off the top of my head i can't even right now i'm thinking of it and i can't think of a single guy and as much as i enjoy dj moore and robbie anderson and and Terrence Marshall's fine. It's like those guys, Terrence Marshall, you know, what his big, biggest criticism was coming out of college was that he's soft. You know what Robbie Anderson's biggest criticism coming out of college was that he was soft. <laughs> like these, these guys were not known for their physicality. Uh, Robbie Anderson looks to run out of bounds when he has the ball. So yeah, I think, I think you might be onto something, Bill, that some people don't actually uh, uh, maybe watch some of the stuff that they cover. Uh, but it's, <laughs> uh, but I know, but it's, I, I don't either. I did just, I just did to say it, but, um, but a lot of those two was the next step with these quarterbacks. And actually I, I was on a, a podcast with Seth Galina and Deontay Lee, and we were talking about uh, Dak Prescott, who, which I will never miss opportunity to talk about Dak Prescott. So here I am. Um, it's the next step for quarterbacks when they're quote unquote progressing is shortcutting reads. And when I say, okay, typical go one to two to three, sometimes four, they just get the two because they know that's a better answer for the coverage they're getting. They don't even bother with one. They don't even bother with two. Sometimes they get to three, you know, sometimes it's a deep, it's a deep concept with a backside dig against cover two. Well, I know the one and two aren't going to be open, but three is the backside dig. That's a really good answer against cover two. I'm just going to work it and then throw that. And that's the next step for quarterbacks is shortcutting. You know, it's funny is time people go, oh, he's staring down his receiver. It's like, no, this dude just knew where he was going. <laughs> it's like, and that's what you have to decipher. Um, is it a one-off or like you said, is it just one play and you're going to damn the guy off of one play or is it a true consistency, consistency, good or bad? So, and again, that's, I mean, the dots will help with that, I'm sure. So <laughs> one day it'll just be dots, Nate. There won't be any actual players, just dots. I love it. I love uh, 
This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8-Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. Now It could be, fun. It could be American Football Manager. We'll be good. <laughs> yes, that's we're hitting all 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 the things that I I care about in this podcast. Only the problem is only me. I'm the only person in this niche, maybe besides you. Um, but <laughs> audience of one, I, I <laughs> audience of one, which is good because I'm the host. But moving on from Sam Darnold here, you brought up Josh Allen a little bit earlier, and I want to talk about him because I feel like he's such a fascinating player in general. But then. You go through the first two games this year, it's almost like he's been the opposite in some ways of Sam Darnold, um, where does get the Steelers in week one and then gets the uh, gets the Dolphins in week two. I know they win 35 nothing, but Josh only throws for 171 yards, uh, 17 of 33 for 179. A game where, again, the Bills won handily. Josh, you know, ran the ball effectively, almost had a rushing touchdown. Um, you know, I had some good field position because the Dolphins were a mess uh, at times and didn't play a big role. And the Steelers week one, I think we saw a very tough defense give him a lot of trouble. But through two weeks, Josh Allen, who was a superstar last year, a borderline MVP pick this year, is averaging 5.3 yards per attempt, has a passer rating under 78. I mean, he looks to be struggling. And I would never say that two games tell us everything about a quarterback by any means because josh allen i mean we've seen he can he, he like from from season to season he can be a totally different dude and um what i do want to ask you though is in terms of what you have seen is there anything that you feel like stands out when it comes to uh you know his play in a vacuum that concerns you or do you think it's more about the external factors uh maybe causing josh allen to have a slower start than Maybe some would have expected heading into heading. Uh, sorry, coming out of I should say a borderline MVP. Yeah, I, I think the first two weeks was the Bills faced opponents they faced last year, and those defenses adjusted, and the Bills didn't. And when yeah, I I don't know what the numbers were for the for the Dolphins game, but it felt like they didn't blitz them much, even though they would show very pressure heavy looks. Um, but, you know, as far as guys at the front, they were just running man coverage, which, you know, the Dolphins do their Patriot system. Um, what they did though, which was fascinating to me. And I have no idea if um, it's not new, nothing's ever new, but it's, it's, I don't, it's, I, I, every time I even, I'm like, oh, this is new. It's like, yeah, someone reminds me, oh yes, you know, Dick LeBeau did in 1989. <laughs> uh, so it's the, <laughs> I'm usually the one to do that to other people. So what am I just talking about? Uh, but it's. The, the route, so they, the Dolphins were running robber coverage, and robber is a man coverage where the safety is the robber. He, he, it, depending on the rules, they read the quarterback eyes, you rally to attack a crosser or the route, just depends what it is. The Dolphins, though, got burned by this last year playing man against the Bills. They, you know, the, the Smurfs of the Bills were just running crossers left and right. They had nothing, no, I mean, just running away from these guys because 
uh, defenders are going to play with outside leverage and, and robber because their help comes in the middle. And so, so if you just run away from it, run past the robber, robber takes it underneath route and you just hit it over top route. Okay, it makes sense. What the Dolphins did this year was they adjusted off that and they passed stuff off. It almost became like a hybrid coverage. And you could tell they had rules for what the Bills want to do. And, and the fact that they didn't blitz much, they were not going, they were like, hey, we can get a pass rush. Okay. But Josh Allen does a lot of damage because if you blitz, you're going to be weak in coverage. Your, your goal was to get to the quarterback within three seconds, not let him get rid of the ball. And yeah, they, they decided to show those looks, but not do it. And they also were just daring. These teams are daring the Bills to run the ball. They're running dying personnel and they're just going, okay, we, we're going to put six DBs out there because you're not going to run it. We know you're not. You're going to do it like once or twice, but we don't care. Like teams are just betting that they're not, and they're winning. They're succeeding in that and in, in, in doing so. Um, it's just kind of cool that the Steelers and Dolphins did in two different ways. Steelers ran a lot of two high coverages. Dolphins ran a lot of man, um, but they both kind of had the same philosophical outlook of the game um and it, okay so i just talked about you asked about josh allen i just talked well, about defenses for 10 well, minutes <laughs> i i want to say something because it's funny you bring up the idea of like passing off that coverage in the middle of the field do you know what defense i've seen pass off that coverage more than anybody else in football over the past couple of years the pittsburgh steelers they love they do it more more with a when they play single high more you know their their deep safety typically um we'll pass that off or they'll have a guy in like a deep over. I saw this, I think when I, they play the Ravens, I think I've seen them do it more than anywhere else, but um, where they'll pass off that deep over and the deep safety will, you know, run with that guy. And then they'll, the guy who was running with that guy will replace him in the middle of the field. So um, like you said, I don't think they did that very much against the bills just because it was a different coverage shell and different concept. But um, I do think that that's something it wouldn't shock me if we saw more teams do that as we get used to more teams, you know, having, having effect on, on that sort of, uh, on those offensive route concepts. Yeah. And a lot of like Allen, Josh Allen's improvements last year, everyone's saying, Oh, he changed his throwing mechanics. He changed. It was like, no, no, no. He mentally got sharper. The game slowed down for him last year. And you could tell when the, for quarterbacks, when the most improvements in accuracy come from footwork and the mental side slowing down and, with Allen last year, you could see it slow down for him. Like you just could. He was anticipating throws rather than, you know, so how many times you see a ball, you used to see a ball sail for him. It's because he'd be late and he would overstride and just try and gun a ball in there with his awesome arm and the ball would go five yards over the guy's head. So now he's anticipating you throw with a little more touch. These last two weeks, he's pre snap going, I'm going here. But then the look doesn't look how he thinks it's going to play out. And then he, now he has a double clutch. And then now you're getting the sprayed balls. You're getting his footwork all, all out of whack. Because he still made, against the Steelers, he still made about, I mean, four or five throws that were S-tier throws. It, but it's just that last year he was doing that 12, 15 times a game. And they just kind of like, they just, it's not so much bad Josh where he was putting the ball in harm's way. It's just some of that inaccuracy cropped up and that indecision, uh, indecision making cropped up. And I, I think that's where, you know, defenses, they did a good job. They really did. These, these two defenses really game plan them very well, uh, but we'll see that's where the adjustments come. A lot of teams can do that for the first two weeks. Now let's see if other defenses can do it for the next four weeks. And if the bills adjust at all by, you know, just running the ball or playing heavier personnel else or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the Steelers are a very good defense and they had TJ Watt who was wrecking the bills up front. The, Dolphins have Savian Howard and Byron Jones at corner. Um, that is a concern. The they're about to play the Washington football team, which has 
Chase Young and a very good front, even if they don't have Matt Ioannidis. I suspect against the Texans, Josh Allen will look a lot better in week four. But from what it sounds like, given that you're, you know, sort of crediting Josh's um, processing and, and his mental acuity and improving, and that why and that being maybe the biggest reason why he improved last year, I would imagine that's not going to go away. And so it sounds like you're pretty optimistic that, you know, teams might have solutions from week to week, but in the big picture, Josh Allen's going to be just fine and continue to be a very impressive quarterback. I think it, it would have been very hard for them to maintain what they did last year. Not that I'm saying they're going to be bad or anything, but I think like last year, they were elite of the elite. I think this year they're more in that good to very good range. Um, it's hard to do the same things year after year. It just is. You, you adjust, like as far as your bread and butter, like you have to have adjustments off of that. And I think the Bills kind of rolled it out, rolled the ball out there. Like, hey, we're just going to continue to do the same shit we've done. And I think the defenses were like, no, you're not. <laughs> and, and but that's but that's where now it's on the Bills coaches to figure out, okay, de- defenses are doing this to us. All right, what are our answers? We can't get caught in this in this solution. Like, because in the first week, you could tell the Bills thought they were going to get blitzed all game. They were an empty. They did all stuff because the Steelers blitzed them last year. And the Steelers were like, nah, we're just going to make you nickel and dime us. And it worked. Um, but now it's on film film is your resume. So now it's, what's the adjustment come from that? Uh, but that that's really on the staff because I am, I am not, I, I think the highs were super high last year. There's a couple times they did get away with some stuff that may have been unsound. Um, but, but it, Hey, but it works. So it's kind of one of those things, you know, uh, <laughs> right. if it works, it works at the end. Of the it day. works. It works. Yeah, exactly. It might not be how I would do it, but it worked. Um, but that's also why I'm, I'm, I'm at my kitchen counter, right? <laughs> but it's, uh, but it's, it, it's, but that's the thing is if you're doing that type of stuff, it's hard to sustain it. So I want to just see what this next step of this bill's offense is. But I think Josh Allen is, it's like you said, the, the mental side's not going away. The arm's not going away. The creation's not going away. I think it's just more, they might have to get a little more sound. They almost have to take a step back before they take a step forward with their offense. So do you sort of think the solution is going to be just running the ball more and <laughs> teams to get out of their dime, their dime packages? I think, yes, I think it's finding a way to abuse teams going light box on them or going lighter, lighter uh, uh, bodies out there and finding whatever their method of doing that, whether it's Josh Allen running the ball or, or how they want to find that uh, because they're all in, I mean, they dress like six receivers on game day. They have like two tight ends on the roster. Like they're, they're run and shoot, baby. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, I mean, so it's what, okay, now you, this is the bed you made. So now what's, what are you going to do? Like, what is the next step? So it might be, it's going to be running the ball. We're finding some runs that make sense. Uh, but it's also going to just be, is it screen game? Is it just getting the ball out quick, making guys go side to side? Is it just going deep? I think that's another thing is that if a team's going to play soft zone on them, like the Steelers did, the way they kind of get them out of that is hitting them over the top, which is kind of weird to think that, Josh Allen wouldn't do that, but that game, that's just kind of what they bet on. And it works for the Steelers, but I do think it's going to be a little bit of running the ball and just finding ways to take advantage of what the defenses are giving them. Such yeah. a coach speak right there. <laughs> just take what the defense can show. I mean, we saw in week one, their uh, uh, Brian Dable solution was to spam uh, quarterback draw with Josh Allen, which he yep. ran like eight times. I mean, some of them might've been, uh, might've been an RPO, like a, a, a stick draw RPO, but it was draw like eight yep. times in that game. I've never seen someone run more quarterback draws in my life than Josh. It was the same play every time too. It was hilarious. They didn't even dress it up. They just did the uh, same play. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. You know what? You know what? I, I respect it. But I yeah, I mean, I think, 
I agree. And you look at like from the, the nerdy numbers perspective, like you look at the quarterbacks who made the sort of leap Josh Allen made last year. And I've mentioned this a bunch of times. See by the numbers, the single greatest improvement in NFL history in terms of completion percentage last year. And as you might suspect, basically every one of the guys who made that leap took a step backwards the following year. Now, the guys who are on that list, like half of them are in the Hall of Fame. Like it's not as if they took a step backwards and suddenly they were bad at football. They took a step backwards and they were still great. It just that happens from year to year. That sort of fluctuation is just normal when it comes to the National Football League. I think just we're so focused on everything now. There's so much attention paid to everything now that I think there wasn't that much attention paid to that stuff 10 or 20 years ago, or, or in some cases, 30 or 40 years ago. So like, yes, I, I think we can hold all these opinions at the same time. Yes. Josh Allen is off to a slow start. Yes. Josh Allen is, or the bill's offense has some answers that they're going to have to deal with or have to find over the course of the next few weeks. Yes. It's fair to expect the bills to not be as explosive on offense as they were last year. And yes, they're going to be fine and still very good. Like, like I know that like on, on Twitter, you can't really have that conversation, but here we can have that conversation. Yes, we can. We can go 280 words, so 280 characters, whatever it is, 240 <laughs> words. Like that, that does, that does help a lot. And that's what it is. It's always somewhere in the middle. It's, it's never as good as it seems like with, you know, maybe like Sam Darnold's start. It's mm-hmm. never as bad as it seems with, you know, like Josh Allen's start. It's mm-hmm. just that's how it is in NFL or just really life. I unless, guess. <laughs> unless it's the U.S. men's national team, in which case it is. Yes. Either, it is. either the best or the absolute worst. And there is no middle class. Sometimes in the same game. Sometimes, Sometimes in the same game. <laughs> Yes. Sometimes you play Honduras, and that's how it goes. <laughs> yes, yes. When when you're faced with a mighty opponent like Honduras, uh, you'll see both of those in the same 90 minute window. Um, we're not going to talk about Honduras today. We're not going to talk about the national team. We are going to talk about a t- a couple of teams that I feel like are off to interesting starts as well. Um, and I think their records probably overstate how they've played, but I want to know what you think about them through two weeks. And these are both teams that you've had. An affiliation with at one point or another, either as a, a coach or as a um, as a fan growing up. But we're going to talk about the Raiders and the Vikings because the Raiders unexpectedly are two and zero, and the Vikings, especially given their schedule, um, unexpectedly are zero and two. So let's start with the Las Vegas Raiders, a team that we all saw play one of the weirdest games I can think of in recent memory in Week One against the Ravens. Ended up being a Dramatic comeback victory for the Las Vegas Raiders, 33-27. And then I, I would say more impressively, maybe the competition wasn't quite as impressive, but I think a more thorough victory, 26-17 over the Pittsburgh Steelers last week. So obviously uh, the Raiders have been a very frustrating team for several years now. Derek Carr gets some flack for that, and I think maybe a little bit unfairly. But in terms of what you've seen from the Raiders through two weeks, the Ravens and Steelers are legit teams. Like the Steelers, the Ravens are probably going to be a playoff team. The Steelers are projected to be right on the precipice of the playoffs. Like, do you think this Raiders team is for real? Or do you think there's something about their 2 0 start that they'll find tough to keep up in the weeks to come? I think the offense is for real. Um, I, I have yet to see, and you can. Make fun, I, even myself, I can make fun of Green all I want as running a team and everything, but he has done a good job with that offense the last couple of years, and he does good stuff, and, they, and he, that's continued this year. They, they've they kind of really gone against the meta. Like, they 
by going so much heavy personnel and the play action stuff, and it's working for them because defenses have to match them with base personnel and they can't get into their fun blitz packages and all the goofy stuff that they want to do. Like the Ravens love to do that. So they had like a matchup advantage. They basically were like, we are going to keep you on base, which you don't like to do. And, and we're going to run the ball, run play action and drop back from that game. Like they were going even against the Steelers. I know it's the same Ravens, the Steelers, they had like plays of three tight end looks where they're running verticals, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're attacking deep with heavy personnel. So it's kind of a, uh, uh, it's a fun kind of yin and yang that they have going on in their offense. Uh, but the defense, though, I'm not as optimistic about. I think uh, they haven't played teams that have truly been able to punish them, I, I think, as much as could happen, uh, even with the Ravens being very explosive in the run game. They had a hodgepodge old line. Ronnie Stanley was still looking rough. Um, and, and, and not to mention Villanueva looking how he did. Uh, and I also think just how the Ravens play, you know, it's basically a triple option attack with some passing in it. And, uh, it's just, it's a good, it was a better matchup for, for the Raiders. And also last week, big Ben can't throw the ball further than 30 yards. Uh, they're not really going to get punished as they should have, I guess, with what Gus Bradley brings. It's almost what Gus Bradley wants with his defense, a very generic cover three, Seattle cover three. Um, not that. I don't know if Jacoby Brissett's going to be able to punish it again this week. Um, I just think that with the Raiders team, they've made enough mistakes where I'm still a little worried about them. They, the field goal, the clock management at the end of the game, uh, the, the Ravens game before it went to OT, uh, that that was just a mess. Um, so there's still some of those kind of like ah, ickiness that I'm like still not ready to like forget about even though how exciting it is. Derek Carr has been playing playing really good football. He had a touchdown throw against the Steelers like in the corner of the end zone. That was a beautiful ball. Um, the deep throw to Ruggs was awesome. Uh, I mean, you got to give him credit. I mean, that was an unbelievable throw, and he put it right in the money. And, okay, cool. That That's good stuff you want to see. Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro are great for him working on, on the underneath stuff. But it's one of those, how does this team operate now if they do have to drop back? Derek can do it, but do they have guys on the outside that can win? Um, Renfro and Waller are always going to give them options underneath because it's hard for teams to defend a good slot, two good interior guys. But there's going to be times where I think, you know, Ruggs is a super role player. Uh, that's how I look at them. I think there's going to be times where they get stuck uh, if a team plays soft zone and they have to come back and they have to actually have to win a route on the outside. That's not Waller. I think that might be one of their weaknesses. Um Josh Jacobs being out, whatever you want to feel about that. I don't, you know, <laughs> they invested in running back, so they have another guy. Um, but it, it's, I, I do believe in the offense, but I just don't believe in the defense yet. I, I want to see them really play a unit, which maybe not this week, but the following week against the Chargers on Monday night, um, where you can maybe see a, a team attack them. And that would be a real selling point, I think, uh, for that whole team. So I guess if I, I'm buying like half of their stock, but not fully. Because uh, I've, I've seen the story before with the Raiders the last couple of years. Hot start, offense looks great. Oh my gosh, Derek Carr figured it out, and then they kind of, you know, the the holes start becoming bigger uh, yeah. on the whole on the whole team. Yeah, I mean, they were two and zero last year, beat the Panthers, um, and then beat the Saints in a game where they were really impressive. Uh, I think on Monday Night Football, where that was the oh my god, Drew Brees, uh, his goose is cooked game, which wasn't totally cooked but eventually by the end of the year might have been cooked. but they started two and oh i mean it was medium were, rare it was medium it, rare that's fair that's fair <laughs> um they gave it they gave it a sear before they sent <laughs> back out for week three um but 
finish eight and eight. Of course, you lose that game, you know, in a heartbreaking fashion to the Dolphins in week 16, where the defense just falls apart late in the game against Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, I, I mean, like the frustrating thing with Derek Carr for me, and I'll talk about the offense, I guess, first briefly here, like he can throw deep. It's not like he's been Roethlisberger. It's not like he's, you know, pick on a guy, Chad Pennington. It's not like he's a guy where like just the arm is compromised. Where he, he has the arm strength to do it. Like by efficiency metrics, he's very good as a deep thrower. He's uh, got a 96.7 QBR on deep passes since Gruden got there. That's the seventh best mark in football over the last few years. Like he's, he just doesn't do it all that often. And I think that's the tough part is like, you know, they have the pieces to do it. Ruggs is fast. Like they have guys who can make plays downfield. They have a quarterback who can make those throws when he is in a, and he is put in position to make them like they, they have the offensive line is still a work in progress, especially Alex Leatherwood um, didn't have, you know, he was inconsistent when he was in the lineup in week one. Um, but are, are, is there any reason you could think of why they don't throw downfield more frequently? Or is it like sort of the thing you said with Darnold earlier, where it's just, this is what Derek Carr is. And at this point, like, it's not going to change. I think that's just what Derek is. I mean, he has over a hundred starts. It's kind of, and that was one of the more, you know, Derek is extremely, he's very cerebral. He's really good at protection stuff, but that was, he was almost too perfect sometimes where he was like, well, you know, that wasn't completely clear. So I had a, you know, I took the check down because that's the safe answer. And sometimes you almost, sometimes you want to hit the swing for the fences when the single is available or the walk is available, I should say. Um, and, and that's how you open everything else for you. Because if defenses don't have to worry about you hit, getting hit over the top, they're just going to work down on everything. They're just too good in the NFL. Um, so I think it's, that's just what Derek is. It's everything has to be perfect for him. Like he really has to trust that he's like, that guy's going to be wide open. Like he's not willing to go, well, that safety's kind of flat footed, but I'm just going to throw this guy open deep. You know, Mahomes does it constantly, uh, but that's Mahomes. Um, I, I just think that that's what it is. He tries to be too perfect. He takes the single, the double, the walk, rather than try and go for the triple or the home run. And, and it, it's a bug and a feature. <laughs> um, I mean, that's it, it's good in some cases. It's like, all right, he's not going to screw you over and make some stupid throw when we don't need it. But it's also like, hey, man, we, we can't just keep hitting singles. <laughs> Like we got, we got to score some runs, you know, and, and I think that's what it is. I think that's just what he is. And it's all dependent on if he trusts the play. Uh, and, and it's almost like cousins is kind of like this to an extent where cousins, everything has to be perfect for him to be aggressive. Um, I think Derek is a lot like that where, where he doesn't have that kind of effort throw in him um, for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we've seen sometimes occasionally where he will, uh, maybe be forced to make that throw and he can't make it like he's, he's getting throw deep. So that's the, that's the interesting part to me. Um, the defense, I'm a little skeptical. Like they've come up with takeaways at extremely opportune times over the first two weeks. And that's going to help. And like, like I, the thing is though, I don't think this has to be a great defense for this team to be a playoff team. Cause like you said, John Gruden's done a good job with this offense. Derek Carr is a effective starting quarterback. I think they've been like around the top 10 in offensive DVOA. So like they don't have to be, an incredible defense for them to win games. Like I think about the um, the play in week one where they had the long Tyson Williams touchdown where Corey Littleton just over-pursued and there was nobody in the, uh, nobody in the gap. Tyson Williams ran straight through for a touchdown. Like, like I, I don't think they have to be making plays six yards in the backfield. They don't have to have Aaron Donald, but if they can just be in the right gap and, you know, just uh, make opposing offenses work for it. Like, I think they're going to be just fine. 
And, you know, they're 2-0 now. They're they're facing a backup quarterback this week at home against Miami. If they start at 3-0, like, there's a big difference between 3-0 and 2-0 to me. And I think that, you know, even if they are an inconsistent team over the rest of the year, that's probably enough for them to make it to the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. They, they give themselves breathing room for regression, <laughs> I guess is a good way to put it. And also, it's some of the, 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 the game script is pretty good for them. The Ravens are able to punish it a little bit. They do it to everybody in the run game. Um, you know, their defense is built to have a lead. I mean, a sense of the cover three, you know, and also, but just the um, having uh, uh, Yannick Gakwe and uh, Max Crosby, those guys are pass rushers. Um, Yannick does not want to play the run. <laughs> He's, he is very okay not playing the run. So they, when you don't, they don't have to worry about that. And they're able to just kind of tee off like big Ben, like he's not throwing deep, but he loves to throw those RPOs. Like he loves to, he loves to be that point guard. He thinks he's magic Johnson or something. Uh, he loves to do it, but it's like, that's not really punishing those guys uh, uh, as like a physical team might. And so that's, that would be a big test for them. I don't know which team will do it on their schedule. The chargers maybe um, coming up, but it's like, that's going to be, I think the big question mark for that defense has to prove. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now on the flip side, a team that is in a different situation, the Minnesota Vikings have started 0-2, two close losses. Uh, of course, heartbreaking as Vikings losses often are in different ways. Uh, week one, they uh, have Devin Cook fumble. The Bengals suddenly decide to start getting aggressive on fourth and one. Joe Burrow throws a long pass off leak and the Bengals take a field goal to win. Week two, the Vikings play the Cardinals. Um, it is a back and forth battle. They get in position for a game-winning field goal, and Greg Joseph misses a 34-37, 37-yard field goal at the death. Arizona wins it. The Vikings are 0-2. This is a team that is built to win now. I, I would say they are a veteran team. I think they are. I think I had in my column this week, if I'm not mistaken, the oldest defense in football through two weeks. They have a three-game homestand coming up. But their game on Sunday is against the Seattle Seahawks. And a game if they lose, they start 0-3. And I think the the track record for 0-3 teams, like I think I also have this in my column this week, is like 2%. 2% of teams that start 0-3 make it to the postseason. Maybe even less. Maybe, maybe closer to 1%. So in terms of the picture here for the Vikings, is it just that they're a competent team and they just ran into bad luck when they came to the final you know, few plays of each game? Uh, over week one or week two, or do you think that this is just kind of they've hit the natural end of the Mike Zimmer era and they're sort of flailing because they uh, they don't do anything well enough to beat teams where maybe they should be beating them? Uh, and I'm not just saying this because I, I bet on them for now two straight weeks is I, I do think they are a, a competent team that hit some bad luck. Um, the game, the game plan against the Cardinals as far as defensively, they were all over it. Like they were, they're running the routes for the Cardinals receivers. And it's just Kyle Murray was just Kyle Murray. And that's, that's kind of, it's very annoying. I, I'm not a Vikings fan at this point in time in my life, but as a, as a gambler, that was very frustrating for me. Uh, but it was actually nothing covered. So I'm not too worried, but, uh, but same with week one was they had a, they're a Dalvin Cook fumble. I mean, they're, they're multi-million dollar, you know, running back fumbles and really shouldn't have been overturned um, or, or shouldn't have been ruled a fumble. I thought his butt was on the ground. Again, a little bitter about it. But uh, with those, I, I do think they had good game plans. The, the offense in the first half against the Bengals, they shot themselves in the foot a whole bunch of times. I think they had 12 penalties total on the day. Um, 
and they still were in the game. They still were playing really well. I would say the weakness they had was against the run against the Bengals, which was surprising. But they, they I felt like they controlled the game in the sense that the mistakes they had were kind of like just bonehead mistakes as opposed to like a underlying problem. It was Rashad Breland just stopped running because he just thought it, he thought it was something else. He thought it was a different coverage. And so Jamar Chase just runs right by him. Um, the fumble near the red zone. Uh, Burrow has a tip ball. Kyler Murray has tip balls that go right into the receiver's hands. And they don't, it's not like they just get tackled. They gain like 40 yards on it. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's like, it's just like oh, every bad situation they have. Just, as it's, as, it's as someone who bet the under on Max Williams in that game, I, uh, <laughs> I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Under Max Williams bet. That's a hell of a bet, man. I'm, o- I'm that- always under Max Williams. Do you know what? That's- too many X's in that name. I I I feel like it's just, you know, you see two X's in Max Williams' name. You're just like, man, that is a guy who is just all about the hype, all about the yeah. razzle dazzle, Max Williams. Uh, Max Williams name, min yards. That's what you're going for. <laughs> M-I-N-N yards. That's yeah. No, but that <laughs> that but but same, but that's what happens with the Cardinals. I mean, that is their offense. I've made the joke. It's not, it's funny for about two people, but it's Harpo do something funny. And that's, that's what the Marx brothers used to write. They just say Harpo do something funny. It was just give them a scene and just let them go. That's what the Cardinals offense is. It's Kyler go do something funny. And it's, I mean, seriously, uh, but, but, but the offense for the Vikings, I mean, they were moving the ball at will against the Cardinals, uh, this Cardinals defense that after whatever that Titans game was, um, was getting, you know, pumped up. they, they saw the advantages they had. They were they they weren't expecting. You could tell they have no depth at tight end. Was when Irv Smith went out. All of a sudden they had to try and do their run game with eleven personnel and figure out ways to do that. And I think against the Cardinals they figured out some solutions or at least maybe a path going forward until you know they get healthier or figure out what the hell they want to do. Um, so I think offensively they're doing enough. Like Kirk is playing, you know, fine. He's still just. He just, if everything doesn't lay out perfect for him, you're just holding on to your hat that he doesn't do anything. Um, he's not going to create much, but it, it's, he's, he's playing fine. I mean, I just really think this team just hit a couple real bad weeks of luck. I mean, like you said, it's, it's a fumble and a misfield of less than 40 yard field goal away from being two and oh, and us going like, wow, the Vikings went all in and, you know, they're reaping the rewards for it. And Mike Zimmer on the redemption tour, you know, it, it's funny. Just the narrative is different. Um, but I, I do think that this team is, better than the record indicates uh, just because of some bad luck. And I do think they have sound scheme and they're getting reinforcements. Like I don't think Anthony Barr is playing this week, but next week, um, Everson Griffin, who, you know, is a shell of himself, but it's still a body to have, um, you know, just those types of guys coming back, hopefully some more offensive line continuity helps with them. They looked much better in week two than week one. Um, so I, 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 I'm more optimistic on the Vikings than, especially after reviewing the film that I thought I would be. Mm-hmm. But what if they, st- I mean, what if they start Owen three or they play the Browns week four? what if they start Owen four? Like, is it just, could there be a scenario where even though they are sound, even though they are a, a team full of veterans that it just gets to a point where they just collapse because they know their season's done and this is a veteran team. And, uh, you know, not that they don't give up on Samurai. I hate that concept of like giving up on a coach, but just like they, um, you know, C- cash and checks. Like, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I think, I think that's the danger you get with a vet team as opposed to a youth team. I think if it's a young team, you just go, Hey guys, this is a building year, you know, we're, and you try to get feisty at the end of the year, like, you know, Shanahan in his first year with the 49ers, uh, the dolphins when they were tanking, you know, just 
that's a totally different picture. So yeah, there is some of that, especially with some of these guys that sign deals there expecting to win now. You know, that's why a Patrick Peterson goes there. <laughs> it's not big money or anything, but it's like, that's why he chose there. So all of a sudden those guys go, shit, we're own four. And we got, you know, Zimmer's not the easiest coach. Uh, you know, we got tough practices coming up. Like, oof, I don't know about this. Um, yeah, you do run into danger of that. And that's why this week is ridiculously huge for them. I mean, both teams, uh, uh, even with the Seahawks coming off a loss, but it's that game that I have circled, but yeah, I, I could, it could snowball, but it also could be a huge leap forward if they come out with a win, which, which is just every week, I guess, in the NFL. <laughs> every week in the NFL, exactly what I was going to say. Nate, we hit the four topics on the day. It's a fifth one. I'm not going to reveal what it was, but we will save that for another day and another time. But leaving aside all the uh, other conversations we could have had about the U.S. men's national team, about all elite westling, about... <laughs> Kenny Omega, uh, Brian Danielson. Kenny uh, Omega and Brian Danielson. Five stars. stars. Five stars. Which not uh, not unwarranted. I I I think that was the appropriate yeah, uh, very, star rating. Really freaking good. Yeah, it was <laughs> a good match. <laughs> a really good match. We talked about Josh Allen. We talked about the Vikings. Talked about the Raiders. Talked about Sam Darnold. We hit it all. But if you want to hear more about football, you want to learn more about football either from reading about it, watching game tape with someone who knows a lot about the game or listening to that person talk about it. I'm hoping, Nate Tice, that you can fill people in on where they can check out more of your work. Uh, yeah, first and foremost, find me on Twitter at Nate underscore Tice. Uh, and yes, you'll see plenty of wrestling and soccer commentary on there, but mostly it is football, all 22 breakdowns. Um, also, uh, for my written work, uh, I have a Substack now called The Silent Count. It's silentcount.substack.com. Um, and also my main squeeze, my main podcast is uh, The Athletic Football Show with uh, He Who Must Not Be Named. Uh, <laughs> uh, you can hear that. I am on uh, the Sunday night recap shows that come out Sunday night, Monday morning. And also we are now doing a Friday show um, that we recorded yesterday, which is Thursday. And, you know, it comes out for the weekend to preview the weekend games, but that's my main stuff. And then uh, what's college reports start get going. I also do some college draft reports on Bleacher Report uh, for that. So all over the place. A man about town, a man who does excellent work. I'd advise strongly that you subscribe to Nate Tice's Substack. Listen to the Athletic Football Show. The guests are good. You know, can't win, can't win with the host, but the guests on the Athletic Football Show are all really good. No, Robert Mace's excellent work there. And Nate, my friend, you know, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much, Bill. All right. Again, thanks so much to my friend and my guest today on the show, Nate Tice. Nate does excellent work. Hope you guys enjoyed him. Hope you guys enjoyed the football talk. More football conversations coming next week. Hope you guys are enjoying the NFL. Hope your fantasy and real life teams are doing well. But more audio on the way next week.